Brina Garen, and you're listening to Hex Positive. Welcome, witches. This is episode 24 of Hex Positive. I'm your host, Brina Garen, and I do hope you're all comfortably tucked in for the winter. Or for my loyal contingent of Southern Hemisphere listeners gearing up for a fun summer. Where I am, the days are getting shorter, the nights are getting longer, and the wind is beginning to grow some teeth. Now, I'm a mountain gal at heart, so the cold doesn't bother me anyway, but all the same, I've been making preparations to keep the den cozy and comfortable until springtime. Mostly that means keeping extra canned goods and water in the pantry, and pulling out some of my heartier recipes in the kitchen. But one of the other things that the waning year brings is the annual recasting of the household wards. I do this every year, after sundown on Samhain, and leave them to settle overnight. And then there's usually a little touch-up to be done around the winter solstice. Sure, there's testing and some occasional patchwork throughout the year, but I've had a fair amount of practice at this point, and I've found that I'm able to set my wards once a year and then repair as needed. Home protection magic and warding is another one of those subjects I get asked about fairly frequently. When I was first getting into the community conversations about witchcraft and my personal practices, I talked a lot about the visualizations and mechanics behind the methods I was exploring at the time. That's largely tapered off now in favor of other things, but I do consider it one of my strong points. So, as we close out 2021 and head toward yet another year of things that need to be warded against, I thought it might be good to give you all the rundown of basic home warding techniques that I promised back when the podcast first started. Before we get into it, though, just a little bit of housekeeping. For my Virginia listeners, I'm going to have a table at the Yule Witch Market at Diversity Richmond on Sunday, December 12th. The market runs from noon to 4 p.m., just a short one this year, and you'll be able to find my booth inside the building where it's nice and warm. As usual, I'll be bringing books, buttons, witch kits, and all sorts of goodies. What all that might entail, I haven't yet decided, so you'll just have to stop by and find out. Since we're getting to the end of the year and we're going to see those year-in-review playlists, I want to say a special thank you to everyone who's been tuning in every month, or even just sporadically as you can. The show is approaching 75,000 downloads, I think it may have actually hit it by this point, and has an average weekly audience of about 750 unique listeners from around the world, and that just warms my wicked little heart. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a five-star rating and maybe a kind word on Apple Podcasts, or mention the show on your social media. All of these things help the show find new listeners, and a larger audience means all sorts of good stuff for your hardworking hostess. You can also check out my WordPress and the newly named Willow Wings Witch Shop, 
where I have books and all sorts of gift ideas for the witch on your holiday shopping list. You can ask your local witch store to stock my books, or join my Patreon and get monthly bonus episodes and early releases. There's all kinds of stuff going on. It's, it's madness, really. I'm deeply grateful to everyone who's supported, reviewed, or spread the word already. Y'all are really helping a witch out, which means that I have more time to produce podcast episodes and maybe, if we all get our Yuletide wish, a new book. I mean, volume two of the Sisters Grimoire has only been in development hell for, what, three years now? It's got to get done sometime. Anyway, remember to rate and review, etc., etc., and thanks for all your support this year and every year. I hope you get something really, really nice in your stocking for that. I do want to mention one other thing real quick. After this episode, I'm actually going to be taking a break for a little while. If you follow me on Tumblr, you've probably already heard. I'm tired. I am. <laughs> I've been juggling a lot of things, and I need to put something down before everything gets dropped. You know that feeling? And the podcast is really the only thing that I'm able to pause right now. So I'm taking a little mental health hiatus for the next couple of months. There will still be episodes posted in the feed. I'm going to schedule the witch ways as usual, and I'll be releasing some Patreon bonus episodes for you to enjoy. If everything goes well, I'll be back in March of 2022 with all new material and maybe, just maybe, the long-awaited Easter rant. In the meantime, I'm going to step back, take proper care of myself, attend to some family stuff, maybe work on the other projects I've been shelving for a while. I am fine. I will be fine. I promise. I'm still going to be on my socials, and I'm still going to be running my shop and haunting the Nerd and Tide Discord, so if you have questions or want to chat, you know where to find me. I love you all very much, and I really appreciate your patience and understanding while I take this time to look after myself and take care of some real-life stuff. So, let's get into it. Real quick for my novices out there, or anyone who needs a refresher, wards are a type of protective spell that act as a barrier between a person, pet, place, item, or situation, and some kind of undesirable circumstance, such as bad luck, illness, theft, accidents, or magical harm. They can be as big or as small as you need them to be. They can be any shape or structure, depending on who's casting them. And they can be for general protection or guard against specific concerns. The most common types of wards you'll hear about are personal wards and property wards, but they are by no means the only types. Today, we'll be focusing on property wards specifically wards you can put around your home or whatever space you want to protect. If you're feeling punny, these can definitely be referred to as space wards. Or you can sit there groaning, suit yourself. But that's what they are. They're wards that protect a space. Big, small, indoor, outdoor, a whole dwelling, or a single room, or even just a ritual space within a room. It's whatever you need. So, in past episodes, 
I've talked about how protection magic is one of the first things that I recommend new witches learn when they're starting their witchy education. And indeed, that's something you'll hear from a lot of other practitioners as well, largely because it's a pretty simple and basic form of magic that's easy to learn, and the techniques involved with it translate well to other types of spell work you'll learn as you go. Grounding and centering, visualization, creating a ritual space, and so on. I also recommend it not so much because you're in, like, any sort of immediate danger just from becoming a witch or choosing to explore and learn about witchcraft, but because the first and most important step of getting into any new activity with any level of risk attached is usually some kind of safety parameter, learning how to do the thing safely. It's like the old adage goes, never call something up unless you're sure you can put it down again. Same thing applies to witchcraft. Don't go walking in those woods unless you're prepared to defend yourself if there's trouble. But along with this idea of safety parameters, we need to discuss realistic parameters. Because as we've talked about before, witchcraft can't do everything. If it could, I'd retire. There are limits to what magic can do. And it's good to know where those limits are, especially when it comes to protection. Most of this falls under common sense. You can put up all the wards and charms you want, but it's not going to do you a lick of good if you don't lock your doors and windows. So when you're putting your magical home protections into place, it might help to tie them to the safety measures you're already taking, so they all work together. But we'll get to that a little later when I talk about anchors. So to start off, let's talk about what wards can and can't repel. You can usually rely on wards to help keep away unwelcome energy or entities, fend off unfriendly spells and intruding spirits, and decrease the chances of unwanted things happening, like accidents or illness or what have you. They won't completely replace mundane action, of course, but they can kind of fend off those possibilities. Let's run down the list of frequently referenced problems that wards can cover. Generally speaking, wards can help keep your space free from baneful magic sent from the outside, interloping spirits, negative or unwanted energy, outside interference, intrusion, accidents, illness, and unwanted guests. However, and this is an all caps bold type, however, wards are not foolproof. Nothing is foolproof, largely because fools are so annoyingly ingenious. In this case, it's because magic is not a substitute for practical action, and also because magic is not infallible. It can only ever increase or decrease the chances of a desired outcome, as we discussed back in episode 6 when we talked about writing your own spells. So, while wards can help with these things, just keep in mind that you shouldn't expect them to work like protection spells in the movies, okay? I do want to go into a little more detail on the things that you can ward against before we move on to the things you can't ward against. And yes, there are things that cannot be kept out with magic. We'll get to it. 
On the subject of baneful magic, this is actually way less of a problem than most people think it is. I know social media would have us believe that there are people out there who constantly look to hex whoever they disagree with or spend their time trying to decode people's practices through their postings so they can pick apart their magical defenses in order to... I don't know, that part's never stated. Mostly sounds like scare tactics and a colossal waste of time to me. There are very few people out there looking to hex people for shits and giggles. It's not like internet trolls who try and hack websites for fun. Breaking down most people's magical defenses nets the aggressor absolutely nothing. They rarely have more than a screen name to go off of to begin with. A photo, maybe a little more troublesome, but rarely will they have more than that. Even if they managed it, how would they even know they succeeded? Not to mention what a colossally foolish endeavor it would be to test another witch's defenses just to see if they bite. Because, spoiler alert, they can. And we'll get to that, too. So, really, the best defense against baneful magic is just don't piss off any witches. And if you find yourself in a position where you must disagree with a combative or disagreeable person on the socials, and you think they might do something because, I don't know, they have nothing better to do with their lives than curse random strangers in their comment section, just have something prepared to nullify or deflect whatever's thrown at you. With ghosts and spirits, it's a bit of a yes, but also no. You can ward against active or intelligent hauntings, entities which respond to the people, animals, or events in the home, or against spirits who happen to be passing through. This is the one I usually have trouble with living near a historic area. But warding does precisely bubkiss for residual hauntings. If the ghost is just reliving some event from their previous existence and doesn't respond to stimulus or attempted communication from the living, or if it does things like walking through walls or furniture like they're not there, there's not much that witchcraft can do. That's basically just an energy tape playing over and over, and throwing spells at it isn't going to do anything because there's nothing there that's got enough awareness to respond to the working. Same thing if the spirit is tied to the property and not the building. The ghost was there first, and you're probably not going to be able to do more than divert it or maybe tone things down. Warding against unwanted energy functions in a similar way. You can keep out some kinds of energy, like stuff that drifts in from people living or traveling nearby, very useful if you live in a shared building and have grumpy neighbors, or energy that is disruptive or discordant and doesn't quite jive with the way you want your house to feel, like when that relative comes to visit and the place just doesn't quite feel right after they leave, or keeping your space yours, magically staking a claim to a room or dwelling. Really, you want to be doing that last one in any case, since that's the basis for most protection magic, and also for cleansing and banishing later on. Remember what I said about techniques carrying over? There you go. As for intruders and unwanted guests, again, magic can only do so much. 
you should still apply all reasonable mundane safety measures. Like I said, the best ward in the world isn't going to do shit if you don't lock your doors and windows. The best that magical protection can do in this case is kind of like a Jedi hand wave. This is not the house you're looking for. Or in certain cases, if you layer things and tweak the parameters a bit, it can make unwanted people very uncomfortable if they do decide to intrude and maybe make them want to leave. Think of this like the magical equivalent of a nice big no soliciting sign. It might turn away most of your unwanted visitors, but there's always a risk that someone very determined or very stupid will just ignore it. But ideally, that's how those wards should work. You remember when you were a kid and there was that one house on your block where you were like, oh hell no, I'm not going there, not even for Halloween candy. Not because you knew for sure that anything bad was going on there, but just it gave off that sort of unwelcoming aura, right? That's the idea behind home wards. Unless someone is already welcome, you want them to stay the hell away. Lastly, when it comes to things like accidents and illness, magic will work exactly as hard as you do to prevent these things from happening in your home. But it doesn't do anything about carelessness or reckless behavior. So make sure you're taking precautions against illness, like washing your hands, taking your meds, wearing a mask in crowded places or in shops, getting your shots, not attending potential super spreader events, keeping up with the cleaning, and so forth. As for accidents, well, if you have kids or pets or clumsy siblings, you already know it's a tall order. Observe basic common sense safety and fire prevention and do the best you can. If it's weather damage you're worried about, the best you can do there is ward against, like, a worst-case scenario and hope for the best. I have a few weather warding spells in my repertoire, but even I know that you can't hoodwink Mother Nature when her dander's up. So let's talk about the things that you absolutely cannot ward against. Like, no amount of witching is going to work in these scenarios. Top of the list, deities. Just no. <laughs> no chance. Don't even bother to try. It's laughable. I know there's been some discussion about, well, what if so-and-so wants to work with me, but I don't want to, and I want to let you know here and now, you have the right to refuse. You have the agency to say no. Don't let TikTok con you into believing that deities force people to worship them or do their bidding. There is none of this, oh, so-and-so wants to work with me, so there's nothing I can do about it. Like Trey Dorn has said, you either have agency in the situation and it's a mutually beneficial consensual working relationship or somebody's fooling themselves and maybe you shouldn't be doing dedicated deity work until you ask yourself some hard questions about consent. And contrary to popular belief, you are allowed to leave any toxic relationship you find yourself in, including one with a deity. The good news in that situation is that this is another thing you really shouldn't have to worry about. Trust me when I say, and I say this with great love, on a cosmic scale, none of us are important enough to warrant divine shenanigans. 
the powers that be have better things to do than pester mortals, I promise. Yes, I've read my mythology, but when was the last time you had to fend off a suspiciously horny swan, okay? This is another don't start none, won't be none situation. Just don't go pissing on any godly shoes and you'll be fine. As I mentioned before, wards are also not a foolproof way of keeping unwanted people out of your space. It's a magical barrier, not a force field. If there were a way to physically keep people out of your bedroom through witchcraft, believe me, I would have found it in my 20s. I tried literally everything short of buying a bear trap on eBay, and I considered it. The best I was able to manage was a ward that would give me kind of a psychic tap whenever somebody went into my room without my permission or while I wasn't home. An important related point. Wards can't keep out what you've willingly invited in. Whether it's a toxic person or an entity you've summoned or just icky energy that you've encouraged or allowed to remain, if you asked it to be there, you cannot ward against it. You can try cleansing your space, you can try protecting yourself, or you can try banishing it with appropriate mundane measures alongside, but trying to ward your home against it won't help. This is why it's difficult to ward spaces against people who share your home. Basically, they're invited in by virtue of also living there. You can close a door or hang a keep out sign, and you should always make sure you're setting healthy boundaries. But again, very determined or very obnoxious people may still ignore that. The best you can do is discourage them. On the subject of energy, warding cannot prevent stale energy buildup or heavy atmosphere or that sort of drained feeling that happens after big magical workings. These are all part of things that already exist inside your home, and wards can only really deflect energy that's coming from outside. Again, these are things you'll need to handle with regular cleansing and also by addressing any underlying issues contributing to those icky feelings. Also important point, wards do not trap things inside your home. If you're cleansing or banishing, the thing you're trying to get rid of is not likely to get stuck in your wards as it leaves. You don't need to take down your wards and put them up all over again just to clear out your home. Although a post-casting refresh of your protections is always a good idea. Simply opening a door or window during the cleansing, even symbolically, is more than sufficient. And just to round out the category, the fair folk. This is another gray area. You can keep them out with iron or by kind of mutually, cordially ignoring each other. But your best bet if you don't want to bother with them is just to leave well enough alone. The fair folk, generally speaking, will not come looking for you unless you're living somewhere that abuts their territory or if you happen to stray into it uninvited. Stay out of toadstool rings, don't climb the mounds, leave the special trees and boulders alone, 
Don't give your real name to strangers you meet in the woods who have no real business being there. Mind your manners, and you should be all right. Okay, so now that we've covered what you can and can't ward against, let's talk about how you set up for a warding. You do need to do just a little bit of prep work before you begin to make the casting easier and to help the warding stay in place once it's been cast. You'll want to begin by deciding what space you want to ward, whether it's a room, a dorm, an apartment, a house, or an entire property. Do a little walkthrough first to get an idea of the space and find where you want to place those borders. As you're doing so, you'll want to decide how you want to anchor the wards, either by identifying anchor points or by creating a physical representation of the spell to which you'll attach the wards. Now, for those of you who are going, anchors, Bree, what are you talking about? Are we sailing now? What is this? Let's talk about anchors real quick. In spell work, an anchor is anything you use to contain a spell or hold a spell in place. So if you put a glamour into a piece of jewelry, that piece of jewelry becomes an anchor for that spell, as well as being a magical item. If you make a protection jar for your home, the jar becomes an anchor for the protection spell. In discussions on magical methodology, this same concept is also sometimes called a focus. Personally, I like using the term anchor when I'm referring to wards and protection spells because in my mind, wards are like big containers or magical canopies. So it makes sense that they would need something to hold them in place. It's kind of like a magical paperweight. So when you're creating anchors for a household protection spell, you have some options for what you can do. You can attach the wards to an object, to a structure, or to markers on your property. They're all viable and make equally good anchors. It just depends on what you want to do, what kind of space you're warding, and how much metaphysical ground you need to cover. If you're warding something room-sized or smaller, like a bedroom or a ritual space or just a personal space within a shared room, I suggest using a created object or talisman for your anchor. You can use the structure of the room itself if you want, and this works well if you're warding the entire room. But the exercise of creating the anchor yourself is a good one, and you can use that to map other protection spells later on. Also, as I mentioned, you can't ward against something that's already invited in, so using the structure of a room to ward against somebody who shares that space with you is going to be problematic and may not work as well as you want it to. You can make an anchor out of just about anything. Charm bags, spell jars, besoms, knotwork, woven webs, sigils, nails, carvings, icons, ornaments, houseplants, a personal talisman, or just clutches of things you have around that feel right when you put them together. If your mind just jumped to the shambles made by Discworld witches, you're exactly right. 
whatever you choose, it should be something that has meaning, that won't be forgotten or accidentally thrown away or removed, and that won't easily fall apart. Personally, I like to use brooms and witch webs to anchor room wards, and I've used jars to hold protection spells many times. You can experiment a little and pick the one that works best for you, or you can create something entirely different. You do need to take good care of that object. If it breaks or is damaged, there is a chance that the spell could unravel too. We'll talk about some possible solutions for that in just a moment. If you're creating a specialized item for your anchor, like a jar or a web, you'll want to imbue it with your intent as you're creating it. Think of it like preliminary work for your larger protection spell later on. This will be the thing that holds your wards in place and keeps them strong and steady, so you'll need to put some oomph behind it. If you're using a pre-made item, just make sure you include it in the casting when you're putting your wards up. If you're warding a larger space or an entire home, I recommend anchoring your wards to the structure itself. I tend to use door frames and wall studs, since these are sturdy and easily identifiable and present in every home you're likely to encounter. And no, using the wall studs doesn't mean drilling into the walls or dismantling anything. It just means that when I'm casting the wards, I visualize the wall studs as places where the spell can catch and hold on, building a sort of magical wall inside the physical wall. If you're warding an entire property, I might suggest attaching your wards to landmarks that aren't likely to be damaged or removed. Large trees, large stones, fence posts, mailboxes, decorative lampposts, that sort of thing, adjusting as needed. You can also place markers in the ground at the corners of the property and use those as anchors. Certain folk magic traditions refer to the practice of driving a nail or railroad spike into the ground to keep trouble away from your home, which I suspect is an extension of the use of iron mentioned before. If you're going to do this, just make sure that you're not doing any harm to the land itself, or rupturing any utility lines, or leaving something sticking up that might be discovered and removed by animals or curious children, or which would do damage if hit by landscaping or farming machinery. I suggest sinking the spike with a screwdriver or a hammer and chisel so that it sits a few inches below the surface of the ground. Small wooden stakes or pegs can certainly be substituted for metal nails if you prefer, though they will need to be replaced periodically as the wood rots away. Now, with all that being said, are anchors and anchor points completely necessary for casting wards? No, of course not, because every witch does things differently. However, you will see the idea come up a lot in discussions about protection magic, and I have found that anchoring my wards makes them easier to cast and maintain than just trying to surround my space with a big magical bubble. In most cases, having some kind of anchored does tend to make the casting and maintenance of home wards much easier and more accessible. If the big bubble technique works better for you, then by all means. Just know that the option is there.
We'll be back with more Hex Positive after this brief sponsored break. This episode is brought to you by Portland Button Works. Do you like buttons? Of course you do. Have you ever had a great idea for one, but just been like, darn it, if only I had the resources and equipment. Well, fret no more. Portland Button Works is just what you need. Portland Button Works creates custom pinback buttons in four different sizes, plus magnets, hand mirrors, and bottle openers. Download their templates and create your own designs, or use their Design-O-Matic for quick formatting. You can order just a few custom items for yourself or as gifts, or order in bulk for merch, table sales, or your own shop. And they are quick! The turnaround time for properly formatted submissions is one to three business days for most orders under 1,000 pieces. That is lightning fast! I've been getting buttons from Portland Button Works for years, and their quality is always top of the line. Ever wonder where the hex positive buttons came from? Well, now you know. And once you're done making your buttons, make sure you visit the PBW Witch Shop for a thoughtfully curated selection of witchcraft, magic, and occult-related zines. They've got books, buttons, tarot cards, and more. The collection has a refreshing emphasis on magic that relates to traditional and folkloric witchcraft, chaos magic, secular witchcraft, magical plants and herbs, queer witchcraft, politics and social justice witchcraft, and other non-Wiccan magic. There's a good chance they have exactly what you're looking for. Visit the main Buttonworks at portlandbuttonworks.com and check out the Witch Shop and Zine Distro at pbwwitchshop.com. Help support small business and get your buttons from Portland Buttonworks. Fighting fascism one button at a time since 2012. Since we're all heartily fed up with Amazon right about now, I've decided to open a small online witch shop on my WordPress. You can pick up copies of Grove Daughter Witchery, The Sisters Grimoire, and Pestlework, or shop for witchy goodies like banishing powder, witch web kits, and witchy buttons. You might even get a special surprise or two with your order. Go to brienicarin.wordpress.com shop to place your order today. And now, back to the show. So, now that we've talked about creating anchors, let's get into structure. The structure of a ward can vary greatly, and depends entirely on the preferences of the witch creating the spell. It's all about what's easiest for you to visualize, and also how you want the ward to function. When you're creating the ward, you're basically visualizing some kind of magical barrier and then willing that into existence in and around the space you want to protect. For some people, that might take the form of the big bubble I mentioned before. For others, it might be a brick wall or a canopy or a wall of flames or a thicket of brambles or a giant spider web. Whatever works best for you. As long as you can visualize it clearly, it's all good. And you don't have to pick just one either. We'll talk about layering your wards in a minute. Before you start visualizing and casting your wards, it's a good idea to cleanse the space first. This basically lets you start with a blank slate. All the energy is neutral, you've claimed your space, there's nothing hanging around that might interfere with what you want to do. 
And really, the whole point of casting boards to begin with is to keep that stuff out of your home. So why not start by making sure that there's nothing that needs banishing and making sure your home is cleansed? So how do we go about visualizing our wards? Well, first you want to pick that image, or at least one you can start with. Most witches I've talked to started with a sphere of light, or a bubble, or a wall, so those might be good ideas. Then you'll want to ground and center. Just take a minute to become aware of your surroundings and the space you occupy within them. Take some deep breaths and relax. Try to clear your mind as best you can and focus on the present moment and what you intend to do. This will help you to visualize more clearly and to connect to the space that you're warding. Look at the space around you and construct a 3D model of it in your mind. It doesn't have to be super detailed. A basic three-dimensional figure will do. So if it's just your immediate area, you might picture a sphere or a cylinder. If it's a room, you might picture a cube. If it's an apartment or a house, just do your best with the overall shape if you're not going room by room. And I do recommend starting out with a single room just for the sake of practice. Then, once you've gotten a feel for what you want to do, you can ward your whole home using the same technique. So, now that you've got that 3D image in your head, you can go ahead and cast the ward. Picture your chosen barrier and start constructing it around the space. If it's light or fire, you might picture the walls beginning to glow. If it's bricks, you might picture them being set into place row by row. If it's webs or brambles, you might picture them growing and weaving themselves together around the structure. If you're using anchors, make sure you include them in the casting and picture the magical barrier being held in place by that object and also being empowered and maintained by it. You can do this before, during, or after the visualization, whatever works for you. As you're doing this, make sure you're infusing the wards with your will. Hold the thought firmly in your mind that this barrier, however you see it, will keep out whatever it is that you want kept out. You can be as specific with this as you want to be, keeping in mind those reasonable limitations we talked about earlier. If you want to make a list or write down specific parameters before beginning, that's fine too. In fact, it's a good way to close loopholes and make sure you don't forget anything. And if you're anything like me and your brain turns into a sieve the minute you walk away from a project, this may be an all-important step. You can accompany the casting with any sort of tools or accoutrements you like. Some witches burn protective herbs or incense and reinforce the wards with smoke. Others burn candles or place charms or crystals at key points. Still others use bells or chanting to cleanse and protect with sound. If you work with any spirits or deities in your magic, you can invoke them to assist you and to protect your home as well. 
I'm fond of using my trusty besom to sweep out energy or magic that is old and stale so that the new spell adheres properly, and I always accompany my annual castings with candles, banishing powder, and a long incantation. Now, I know some witches, myself included, have difficulty with pure visualization. Sometimes it's hard to just sit there and try to hold or construct an image in your mind's eye because your brain just doesn't want to sit still. Thank you, ADHD. I've found that movement can help with this, whether it's treading a boundary line or doing a repetitive task. I do recommend physically walking around the room or through your home or around your property when casting wards, especially the first few times you raise or repair those spells. It really helps you to get a feel for the space and where potential problems might arise. For instance, if you live in a townhouse and you have a shared wall and your neighbors are maybe putting off some bad vibes, you may want to make the wards on that wall a little stronger or add a layer that specifically keeps out any sort of energetic or emotional sludge that might drift over into your space. There's a slight difference in ward structure between apartments and houses, too. For houses, you're generally warding one whole freestanding structure. For apartments or dorm rooms, you're essentially warding a floating box, so you need to remember to cover the floor and ceiling as well as the walls, and definitely reinforce any walls that are shared with adjoining units. If you're warding a multi-room home, I definitely recommend taking things room by room. At minimum, you should ward points of egress, cover those doors and windows. You can cover a whole room by focusing on the corners of the ceiling and the floor. It's not really necessary to go foot by foot along the walls. You may want to pay a bit of special attention to other liminal or transitional spaces like stairways and mirrors, but this is optional. I ward my mirrors, but that is strictly personal preference. If you're warding your whole property, work from the inside out. Start by cleansing and warding your home, then step outside and ward the larger space. In my experience, outdoor wards take a little more energy, so it's better to not have to go back and do your home after you've done the outside. Walk the property line, or at least the area around the house and any outbuildings you want protected. As you go, remember to keep visualizing that barrier being put into place and infusing it with your will and attaching it to any anchors that you're using. I should mention that if you live in an apartment building or a dorm, the outdoor step is not strictly necessary. Property wards are most effective when cast by someone who has some degree of ownership over the area. This has less to do with actually owning land on paper and more about personal territory. If you live in a building with a bunch of other people, it's not just your territory, it's theirs too. So if you tried to ward that entire building, it would take a lot more work and it might be muddied or countermanded by the other people living there. I mean, if you want to practice by putting a basic ward around a whole shared building, feel free. 
but I might recommend just warding the outside entrances and maybe the fire escape to save yourself time and trouble. However you construct your ward, keep in mind that you're going to need to let it breathe a little. There is such a thing as sealing things too tightly. You want to keep the bad out, but still let the good in. You want to keep unwanted intruders away, but you also want guests and family and friends to feel welcome. I made the mistake of warding my first apartment way too tightly, and after a while it felt kind of suffocating. Sure, it was safe, but it also felt like the air was stagnant. Nothing was going in or out, and that was the problem. It helps to view your wards as a fine filter as well as a magical barrier, and layering helps with that. There's no rule that says you can only have a single ward. You can have as many as you want. You can have an overall spell or a bunch of specific ones. You can combine their purposes or cast them separately, whatever makes the best sense to you. I generally have a few layers that perform different functions. It's easier for me to focus on clear intentions in separate castings rather than trying to lump everything into one big spell. There's generally a layer that filters out unwanted things, another that cycles energy on a monthly basis to keep the home cleansed, another for basic protection, and another that engages when I lock the front door with a key. And no, that's not all of them. Some are full home wards, others are sort of interwoven and overlapping. And underneath all of them is one ward that keeps me and mine safe on a long-term basis. I never discuss or describe it publicly because it's very complicated and very mean. And if there are witches out there who like to test other people's defenses for fun, I don't want some chucklehead fucking around and finding out the hard way. Anyway, the whole thing is a bit of a hodgepodge I've developed over the years to suit my own needs. And that's something important to keep in mind. The level of magical protection your space needs depends entirely on what level of protection you feel is required. If you're very anxious or highly empathetic, or you're easily bothered by wandering spirits or other people's energy, or if your living situation has a lot of real-life concerns that need addressing, you may want to cast stronger or more numerous wards. On the other hand, if you're a brick wall when it comes to spirits and outside energy, like my good friend Janelle, or if you don't have other people to contend with, or your living situation is fairly safe, you might be fine with just the basics. In all things, trust your intuition. You can always put up additional wards if you feel like they're needed, and you can tell them exactly what you want them to do, such as, no one will enter my home without my permission, or this home is kept safe from misfortune and unfriendly spells. I want to take a quick moment to talk about active and passive protection, because these can factor into how you construct your wards, especially if you choose to layer them. Passive protection just sits there. It's like a locked door or a palisade. It's a simple barrier. If something hits it, the something is either deflected, halted, or nullified. Active protection, on the other hand, is more like an alarm system. It reacts if something tries to get through it. 
The effects can vary from making an intruder feel like they shouldn't be there to countering and reflecting baneful spells back on the one who sent them. I will say that in my experience, active protections do take more energy for the initial casting and they may need more frequent repair depending on how often they're activated. Again, this is not something that's meant to be utterly infallible or that will actively physically keep people out of your space. It's meant to be a magical barrier that augments the mundane safety measures that you're already taking. Layering passive and active protection does help cover those loopholes we talked about earlier, and having those multiple layers can help you ward more effectively for various concerns. And of course, if you want to put it all into one big multi-purpose casting, that is fine too. Once you're done casting your wards, you're probably going to feel really tired. I'm always drained after my annual ritual. It kind of feels like you just came back from a run or a long day at work, or like your internal battery just beeped 15% plug in to recharge. This is normal, or at least I've heard enough witches talk about it that I'm comfortable calling it a common occurrence. Take a break, rehydrate, maybe have a snack. The wards may take a little while to settle in completely, so don't worry if you don't feel anything different. I usually give mine about 24 hours. Generally speaking, you shouldn't be able to feel your wards constantly. That would be horrendously distracting. But there should be a general sense of calm and stability in your space, or at least enough of an equilibrium that you'll be able to notice if it's disturbed. I've mentioned before that I always do an annual warding at Samhain. Around Yule, I check the casting. I just take a few minutes to walk around to all the rooms and make sure everything feels right. If I don't feel anything, that's a good sign. If something feels amiss, or like there's a discordant note playing, or the temperature is colder than I think it should be, I'll take a moment to patch that room, or maybe reinforce it a little. Now, this doesn't mean that my previous casting failed. It might mean that I missed a spot, or that that particular area is seeing more traffic than expected, or that the wards in that area didn't quite settle the way I expected them to. Whatever the reason, it's not a failure, and it doesn't mean that my home isn't safe. It just means that I need to apply a patch, and there's nearly always something that needs to be done between castings. To do this, I usually visualize the wards as I did during the original casting, and imagine a hole or a rent where the jangly, uncomfortable feeling is. Kind of like a tent wall with a little tear in it. And just like you'd do with a tent, I put a patch over it and sew up the edges. And I might cleanse the room too, just for good measure. The timing for casting, checking, repairing, and recasting your wards is entirely up to you. Some witches do it weekly, others monthly, some on particular holidays or on the solstices. Like I said, I do mine at Samhain, since it's an easy occasion to mark and it's the end of the old pagan year and the beginning of the new one. 
you'll know what's right for you and your space once you've had those protections up for a little while. You'll be able to feel when they start to get threadbare, that cold, uncomfortable feeling creeps in around the edges, or the place just feels like you've forgotten to lock a door or left a window open when it's raining. It'll nag at you until you notice. When in doubt, you can always cleanse and repair preemptively. Warding on full moon or new moon days is a good place to start when you're first setting out to create those home protections. They're easy occasions to mark, she said, as if most of us only notice the full moon when it's the day after, and they occur regularly, so you're guaranteed to be paying some attention to your wards at least once a month. The moon phase doesn't really play a role in the casting unless you want it to, so if you're like me and forever forgetting what phase the moon is in, you can still do the casting the day after or the week of. Whenever you remember, so long as you do remember. Set a reminder or mark it in your planner if that helps. And if you find that your wards are holding strong after a month, or that maybe they need more frequent attention, you can adjust the schedule accordingly. You can also create wards that are kind of dormant until you activate them. I mentioned the locked door ones earlier. That one is fairly simple. You use your front door key as an anchor for the ward, and set it up to turn on when you lock your front door with that key, kind of like setting the security system. Something like, until I return and unlock this door with this key, only X person or people may enter. Again, not foolproof, but it's an added layer of protection that might be enough to convince unwanted interlopers or solicitors to go try their luck somewhere else. Generally speaking, the more practice you have with casting wards, the stronger they will be and the longer they will last. This isn't to say that beginners are weak or can't cast effective spells. You know me, I'll never say that. It just means that you'll get more comfortable with the process and the visualization, and that will lead to easier castings and more cohesive and stable spells. Just like any other kind of magic, the more you practice, the easier it becomes. Whew, that was a whole lot of magical mechanics. If you made it all the way through, good job. I hope you were taking notes. I do have some reading to recommend real quick if you want more ideas or information. In my practice, I've mentioned that I've been influenced by fantasy fiction just as much as techniques discussed by actual witches. Melanie Ron's The Ruins of Ambray contains some really interesting discussion of magical mechanics with regard to warding, including the use of the term itself. That's actually the first place I saw it. And that's had a pretty profound effect on how I visualize protection magic for spaces and places. I've also been heavily influenced by Anne Bishop's Black Jewels series, but I hesitate to recommend that one to everybody. It's dark fantasy fiction, and when I say dark, I mean possibly triggering for several reasons. If you're interested, they're excellent books. There's nothing wrong with them. Just make sure you read the previews or check the reviews first. 
For the witchy side of things, I recommend Ellen Dugan's Practical Protection Magic and Althea Sebastiani's By Rust of Nail and Prick of Thorn for further reading. Dugan's Practical Protection Magic deals largely with protection against psychic attacks and personal warding, and Ellen Dugan is... how do I put this politely? She's old school. She's a 90s pagan. She puts a lot of her personal spiritual beliefs into the text, but it's still a good discussion of basic theory and techniques with some interesting anecdotes to round it out. By Rust of Nail and Prick of Thorn is something I picked up much more recently, and it is a wonderful discussion of practical techniques that I think my listeners will really enjoy. I actually read through it while I was putting this episode together, and it really helped me quantify my own practices in understandable terms and reminded me of a lot of the extra things I wanted to cover. 10 out of 10 do recommend. You can find it in the PBW Witch Shop, along with lots of other useful titles, or on the author's website, ladyalthea.com. So make sure you check that out. I'll put everything in the show notes. If you'd like help with your visualization, or if you need a grounding and centering exercise to help you get started, check out the bonus episode, Dawn Thy Armor, from October of 2020. It's a short guided meditation that walks you through a basic ground and center exercise and the creation of a personal ward with a little affirmation thrown in because we all need it from time to time. You can build upon the techniques in that exercise to create your home wards. So that's it for this episode and for 2021. It's been a year, hasn't it? Not as bad as 2020, all things considered, but still. Remember to check out the other awesome shows on the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network and drop that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if you're enjoying the show. I'll have the shop open through the holidays if you need any gifts for the witches in your life, too. Thank you, everyone, for all your support thus far, and I will see you in March. So, until next time, until springtime, really... I'm Brina Garen, reminding you to stay safe, get vaxxed if you can, enjoy your holidays, and tell your near and dear that you love them. I promise, they'll never get tired of hearing it. Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. For all the latest updates, follow at hex underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me at at Brina Garen on Twitter and Instagram. For more information on my books, you can check out my WordPress and my Amazon author page. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Brina Garen. Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hex. Hex positive.